0: tell me you're interested, ask the questions. I am so excited to answer them and to get to know you and see if this is a fit for you. Welcome to the best year of your life in 2022. And I'm telling you right now, the iconic experience is going to be like the rocket that's going to take you to the whole new level, the one that you've been
1: asking for. And just to have dinner at the same time on the same night takes organizing calendars and spaces. So organization is not the problem. But if you fall in love with those traditions while you are ignoring your family and you're just going through the motions, now the traditions have become sacrosanct and they get in the way of relationships. So Jesus has this line about one tradition, Sabbath keeping. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God created the tradition as a gift for you. He didn't make you to serve the tradition he says the religious leaders of his day were trying to get people to serve the tradition and he cuts through that and he says no 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 god made the traditions to serve you and when they stop serving you in your relationship with god then you need to break with the tradition try a new tradition renew it in some way but no one tradition is sacrosanct or else it becomes an idol it becomes a golden calf
0: welcome to the becoming iconic podcast i am your host jen spiegel i am a life business and brand stylist And after years of helping thousands of female entrepreneurs grow successful businesses and lives, I was called to bring these delicious conversations forward for those of you who are ready to build, expand, and actually enjoy all the desires of your heart. I'm so confident that this podcast will support you as you start to elevate and pursue the highest version of yourself. Thank you for being here. Sink in and enjoy. Welcome, icons, to probably for me the most special and privileged conversation I'm about to have on this podcast thus far. I'm with my spiritual mentor, Rexy Cavey, who is a senior pastor to the Meeting House. That is the church that I call home. And it caught my attention 20 years ago when they say the church for people who aren't into church. (laughs) And that was pretty radical for me to hear 20 years ago. He's also the author of Reunion and the book. The End of Religion. And I have to tell you, I am on my second time through The End of Religion. And if you want to have a taste of Brexy, his spirit, his sense of humor, and his deep wisdom, this is the book for you. It is absolutely incredible and pretty profound in the religious systems that I think a lot of us have been a part of or currently in. Before we hit record and before I bring Brexi in, I want to share something from my heart to open this, I feel called to, so I will. And this spiritual series came to me as a real calling and tug because I can't say that I have shown up in my business or to the outside world as authentic in my faith as I could. A lot of that has come from a very warm, compassionate place of wanting to be so inclusive never wanting to exclude anybody or offend anybody. And so to have Brexy here and work through some things alongside of me and us feels so special because Brexy could not be more inclusive, really a deep thought provoking leader, a spiritual leader in this world. So Brexy, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on this podcast.
1: Jen, what a privilege. You have such a sweet spirit. It feels like we're standing on holy ground together. I feel an honor being here with you.
0: Thank you. You have been such a part of my life, my family's life. As a matter of fact, my six-year-old put up caution tape to keep himself in the room right now because Bruxy's in the house. He couldn't believe it. He thinks I'm officially famous. <laughs> 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 what I want to do, Bruxy, if it's okay with you, is just go in the deep end and mm. really start talking about some meaningful things, some controversial things that I know a lot of people are asking themselves and considering. And I want to just go right into religion. I feel called Mm. to do that with you Mm. and sink into the end of religion and how you feel about the word. So Mm. maybe you can give us your take, I suppose, on religion.
1: Sure. Okay. It's a great place to start. Like so many things in the way of words, words can have flexible, elastic meaning. That's true in any language. It's certainly true in English. And the word religion is one of those words. Like the word trunk. When I say the word trunk, what comes to mind first? Is it a nose's elephant or the stem of a tree or a box that you put stuff into or the hood of a car? So many different meanings, right? And so you listen to context. And that's true about the word religion. Some people will use the word religion the way others might use the word faith or spirituality. And they're talking about a real heart connection with the divine. But in general, Jesus never uses the word religion once. He uses a different word, the word faith, which means trust. It's a deeply relational word because the spirituality of Jesus is thoroughly relational. God himself is not just energy, but personal energy. And so the way we relate to that is through relationship. When someone is personhood, you don't use them. That's to abuse them. If you're treating them as just electricity in the wall, I go over and I flick a switch to turn on the lights. I don't ask for electricity's permission. I use it like it's just a thing. Why? Because it is just a thing. I have no relationship heart to heart with electricity. I tell it when to flow, when not to flow, or the electrician makes it possible for me to do that. I'm in charge we can treat things a certain way that we do not treat persons. If God is personal, then the way we connect with God is not formulaic, but it is relational. Not only that, but if it's true that God is somehow pure relationship, and I say that because there's this writer in the Bible who has these three words that I think are the three most beautiful words ever penned and ever uttered in English language. And here they are, the three beautiful words are God is love. This writer, his name is John. He writes this in 1 John chapter 4, and he says it twice, verse 8 and verse 16 of 1 John 4. God is love. And he's come to that conclusion after spending three years being personally mentored by Jesus of Nazareth, who he believes has given him a fresh view of God. He doesn't say God is just loving as an adjective. He actually defines the DNA of the divine as love. And this is a thought that was philosophically and religiously unique, unprecedented and unparalleled at the time. God is love, had not been said before, had not been fully understood or embraced before. But he says this because Jesus has convinced him of this. I think all of this beautiful truth is too big to be captured by the word religion. (laughs) Religion speaks more of the rituals and routines and the rules and the regulations and the holy spaces and holy places and the holy men and holy clothing. And there can be a place for that expression, but the ultimate reality, I think, is something that transcends the word religion. I think that's probably why Jesus never uses the word, but uses the word faith. So connecting relationship of trust. If God is love, then trusting in that love is probably a better way for capturing the spirituality that Jesus introduces us to
0: it's so beautiful. And yet what's coming up for me is the fact that so many people still connect God to a religious system, especially I would imagine those who have had maybe not a positive experience in a religious church or Mm. system or whatever the experience may be. So how can we then take God as love and move it out of a religious building or experience?
1: Good, good. And as people have frustration with, maybe disconnection with particular religious systems, I think they should find a real resonance with Jesus. So if you look at the story arc of Jesus, you have someone who preaches the love of God, but who continually bumps up against the religious system of his day. Now, Jesus is Jewish. His initial followers are Jewish. His message is thoroughly rooted in the history of Judaism, but it is the Jewish religious leaders who continually misunderstand, misrepresent his spirituality Eventually, they realize he is a threat to the system. He's calling us to something that's bigger than the system. That puts us out of a job. And so he comes against the religion of his day, not because they're Jewish, but because they are religious and they're stewarding the system. And that's an applicable truth for all religions of every day, including the Christian religion. It's as though Jesus put religion out of a job. And within a few centuries, his followers said, that's an amazing message. We should build a religion out of that. And we'll call it the Christian religion. And we'll fill it with rules, regulations, rituals, routines, and we'll create a codependent relationship with the system. So you need to come to us to get God's forgiveness. You need to come to us to get God's love. Jesus teaches us something that transcends any one system. So I think keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, coming back to what he accomplished in the first century, and even what caused tension between him and the religious leaders of his day, what eventually led to his crucifixion, is a key transferable message for all time, for all religious encounters. It doesn't make the traditions wrong. It doesn't make the building wrong. It doesn't make the rituals wrong. But it's a codependent relationship with those things rather than with the person of God that's when the system gets in the way rather than facilitating. Being organized, having traditions, for instance, that can help any family create beautiful memories, having certain family traditions. And and just to have dinner at the same time on the same night takes organizing calendars and spaces. So organization is not the problem. But if you fall in love with those traditions while you're ignoring your family and you're just going through the motions, now the traditions have become sacrosanct and they get in the way of relationships. So Jesus has this line about one tradition, Sabbath keeping. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man man for the Sabbath. In other words, God created the tradition as a gift for you. He didn't make you to serve the tradition. He says the religious leaders of his day were trying to get people to serve the tradition. And he cuts through that. And he says, no, no, no. God made the traditions to serve you. And when they stop serving you in your relationship with God, then you need to break with the tradition, try a new tradition, renew it in some way. But no one tradition is sacrosanct or else it becomes an idol. It becomes a golden calf.
0: So what happens to the people then who don't believe Jesus is the son of God?
1: Well, I think they're missing out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think Jesus comes with this beautiful, beautiful message of God's love. He's like God's show and tell. He, He doesn't just tell. He's God's show and tell. He doesn't just preach the word of God. The New Testament calls Jesus himself the word of God sometimes preachers will hold up a Bible and say, this is the word of God. And, and actually the Bible itself says, well, actually Jesus is the word of God. And in fact, there's this passage in John 5 where Jesus is talking with the religious leaders of his day who memorized large portions of the Bible and they studied it and meditated on it daily. And he says in John 5, you don't have the word of God in you. And they would, I think, respond, what? We know the word of God better than anyone in And he says, no, actually, you don't have the word of God in you because you're not using the word of God to lead you to me, the word of God in person. The word of God in print is supposed to lead us to the word of God in person. Jesus has this other line in John 12, 45, where he says this, and this encourages my heart. He says, when you look at me, you are seeing the one who sent me. So when I'm thinking, what is God? G-O-D, three letters we put together to refer to something ultimate. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I look at the world around me. I get mixed signals. I see beautiful creativity and compassion. I see horror of human perpetrating against other human, but also just nature, disease and tsunamis. And I think, well, I get mixed signals. Is God good or is God malevolent or does he just not care? And even if I just read any one particular religious holy book, depending on what page I land on, I may get a positive or negative view of God, including the Bible. But when I actually let it all lead me to Jesus and Jesus says, well, keep your eyes on me. All right. Eyes right here. And you get to see God. I think, wow, that shows me what the creative force behind the universe is like. And I can conclude in my heart, the way the apostle John said, God is love. Because now I've seen an example of that kind of stamped into human history. And I think anyone who doesn't think Jesus is who he said he was and doesn't lean into him will be missing out on this beautiful encouragement. Our hearts might want to conclude God is love. Most people I talk to, if I say, I think God is love, they'll say, oh, yes, I agree. But if I ask them, what do you base that on? More than just spiritual intuition, they don't know. Because if they look at nature, make signal, look at religion, make signals. But I can say to them, I think I've found in history, the evidence that we can look at objectively that resonates with what our hearts are saying subjectively. God is love, and the two can resonate together. Only Jesus paints that picture of God for us. And so, I, I think that people... Are in tune with their own hearts that will lead them in a Jesusly direction. Not necessarily Christian religion per se, but there's something about Jesus. I know it's a long answer to a simple question. There's <laughs> something about Jesus that has a sweet spot in almost every world religion and philosophy. He is an avatar in Hinduism. He is an enlightened one in Buddhism. He is a prophet in Islam, even Messiah in Islam. He is a reforming rabbi within many strains of Judaism. And he's the son of God in Christianity, and he's a friend of sinners for the rest of us. And he was just a wise philosopher for secularists. There's something about Jesus that has a place and a hearing in people of all world religions and no religion. And I don't think that's by accident there is something there where God, regardless of someone's religious affiliation or lack thereof, where God is able to speak our love language, get our attention and call us to a better way of living.
0: And how can you not want to gravitate and run towards that? And you brought up a good point in the world. There's just so much chaos, so much contrast, at least from my experience, it's really easy to be sucked into the negative. Why is this happening? Why are people treating people this way? And for me, in my experience, being able to put my eyes and my heart back on Jesus and go, what would he say? What would he do today? Mm. How could I edify that in my own personal life? It centers me in the exact moment. And it's just like a breath of fresh air and a peacefulness to know it's not necessarily having all the answers, but having that evidence is really profound, at least in my life.
1: Yes. If ultimate reality is personal then ultimate knowing is relational. And relational knowing is experiential, And it includes content, but you don't have to have all the content to really know someone. So as you and I would spend more time together, we would really get to know one another. But if someone comes to me and says, oh yeah, Bruxy, you think you know Jen? Well then, I don't know, what size shoe does she wear, huh? And I say, "Mm, I don't know. And then they say, ha, see, gotcha. And we sometimes play these gotcha games with each other's religion. It's like, do you have all the answers? Because if you don't have all the answers, then something's wrong. Well, people don't have all the answers about people. An expert on a topic, an expert on dog grooming, if they really have their doctor on dog grooming, should really have answers to that if they're called to testify about dog grooming, whatever. But none of us are experts on a person in that sense. We may know their character and their habits. So as I get to know you, I might be able to predict things about you and have real increased trust in you because I get to know your heart. But there's all kinds of details about you I may never have the answers to. And in fact. There's some things about ourselves we don't always have the answers to. We surprise ourselves. When someone asks me a question about God or about the Bible or about Jesus, if I don't know the answer, the pressure's off. I don't have to say, well, I don't know how Noah got all the animals in the ark and was the flood global or is that a metaphor or is it a parable? Because you know, Jesus loved parables. Maybe God's telling the parable. I don't know all the answers. Here's what I do know. Jesus heart woos me, it compels me, it makes me believe in a better God, which makes this a more loving universe. And also calls me into a better way of living. And that's enough for me to keep moving forward with Jesus. While we discuss all the other things we do or do not have answers for.
0: Oh, it's so perfect. You said that that was divine because one of my questions was like, did Jonah really get swallowed (sighs) by a whale? Right,
1: right. (laughs) It's so true. I was just teaching earlier today for a grade 10 religion class, and that's nice. I get to come in and represent the religion of Christianity, which is kind of fun and ironic. I mean, those are the kinds of questions that some of them had. Well, what about this Bible story? What about that Bible story? And I can say, what I do know is that God firmly planted himself in human history through the person of Jesus. That's what someone who follows Jesus believes. That's the bullseye. And then you can move out from that bullseye. And the further you move from the bullseye, the more questions you have. And that's okay. That's how human beings exist in this world and live life. And I don't have to have the answers for everything. I'm focused on the bullseye. I can tell you my opinion about things. But one of the things we do know is, when Jesus shows up and if he really is kind of God in a form we can understand. If I wanted to communicate with dolphins, I could try and write them a pamphlet in English, but probably wouldn't communicate with them, right? But if I had the power to actually become a dolphin and speak dolphin language and show them dolphin communication through dolphin character, that would be the best way ultimately. And God has that power to manifest. If he can appear as a pillar of fire or as a burning bush. God can appear as a human. In fact, he made us in his image and his likeness. It's more resonant for God to become human even more than to become a burning bush or a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, to become a human being of all of creation. That's the most natural thing for God to manifest as. For God to speak to us in this way makes great sense. It speaks our love language. When God shows up as a human being, one of the things we find out is he loves to make up stories to illustrate a point. They're called parables. And Jesus does this all the time. So that tips me off. Maybe parts of the Old Testament, maybe parts of the Bible are parables. When God shows up in human form, he just tells a lot of stories. It doesn't mean they're not true. They're telling a truth, but they are made up stories to tell the truth. It's a way of teaching. And I don't know if certain parts of the Bible is a parable or is pure history. I'm open. I'm open, but I don't have to have it all figured out in order to follow Jesus. I say, what's the meaning of the message? That's how we read our Bibles.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I hope you know how deeply grateful I am for the time and space you give to the Becoming Iconic podcast. It is an honor and a privilege to show up here twice a week and pour into you. And thank you for those five-star reviews that you've been giving and those beautiful compliments. It means so much. And the time you spend to do that is just the most beautiful way to give back. The other thing I want to challenge us to as a community is to share more. It's so simple to copy this link into a text to a friend who you think would benefit from what you just listened to or share it into your stories. Make sure to tag me, by the way, because I love resharing and allowing your network to maybe discover something that they wouldn't have if it weren't for you.